0: turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 21. We're going to um, be reading the first seven verses and then we'll pray and we will turn to the explanation of God's Word. The Bible says in Genesis 21, starting in verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he said and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abram, Abraham. Whew, can't wait until we are done with Abraham, I mean, I, I'm enjoying talking about Abraham, but it will be nice to be out of the Abram-Abraham confusion. Uh, he, she bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to, to hear your words. We pray that, that, as the Scripture says, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, that, that having heard your words, that, that we would consider them. And considering the matter, we pray that, that we would trust what we have heard, and that we would put it into practice in our lives. Father, we pray that, that if, if there's anyone in the room who does not have faith, who does not trust In Christ, I pray that their heart would be encouraged and changed. And Father, for those who are struggling or stressed or flagging in devotion, I pray that they would be encouraged by the words from this passage and that we would see faith born in our hearts and that we would see our lives fueled for, for walking the life of faith each and every day. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share. We pray your blessing on this time in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Um, laughter is a, um, an odd kind of a thing. Uh, uh, laughter is, is something I think that we, we seek out. Um, when, when I pick a movie, I'm often like, I want to see something dramatic and, and big and Meaningful—that's going to challenge my thinking. And Nancy often will say, "Can't we watch something funny?" You know, let's—I want to watch something funny because she wants she wants to be um, amused and entertained. Because laughter comes when when we are joyous, right? But laughter—think uh, about it. Laughter can also be a source of tremendous cruelty, um, right? It, we're we're not when when, when someone's not laughing with you and they're laughing at you. That can, that can be a terrible experience. Laughter can, can, can turn from being uh, a, a source of joy to, um, to, to, to just a, a sharp knife. I talked about you already. I'm, I'm done. Um, so uh, thank you. Now, now there's other kinds of laughter, right? There's, there's the polite laughter. Dr. McCraney is standing up here taking pot shots at me, right? And I laugh because this is what we do, right? When we are, when someone's making jokes, when the boss or somebody important comes around, you you politely laugh. Who has not done this in the room? Raise your hand if if your boss makes jokes and you don't laugh at them because they're not funny. No, you laugh when the boss makes jokes. Good for you. You are a unique individual among the world. Um, you, you, You laugh politely, right? Um... So 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 just think about the the the, the different kinds of, of of laughter that enter into the world. Because because we've got them in this passage here. And I think we've got we've got some distinct kinds of laughs. Not like not like you know super loud, siren-like, obnoxious laughter or quiet internal and That's not what I, I mean when I say different kinds. It's different categories. Of laughter, but it's going to take us a little bit of, of time to to get to the to the point where we're where we're talking about laughing. Okay, um, let's look at the passage in front of us. There is nothing for me to put this down. Just move them up. Here. Well, not It's good. good. It's all good. Thank you. Um, let's let's look through this passage and let's let's consider uh, laughter as a source of, of joy as we, when we when we get there. It's going to take a little work. We'll get there. Um, We see in the scripture that the Lord finally delivers on his promise. I don't say finally like, oh, we've been waiting so long. Finally, you've gotten yourself together, Lord. But but finally in the sense of, of this is the drama and the activity of the story is leading up to this moment when God makes good on what he's promised. The scripture says that the Lord visited Sarah as he said. God speaks words of promise and just as he said it comes to pass it says in in verse one in the second half there that the lord did to sarah as he had promised god god said god promised the point is that that god made clear what would happen and we see here the faithfulness and the reliability of God that he he does what he says as as Joshua is preparing to move off the scene and to die at the end of the book of Joshua he points out to the children of Israel who've been led out of Egypt in the Exodus and then onto the land in the book of Joshua he says to them see that not one good word of all of the promises of God has failed not a single thing that God said the, the the Hebrew idiom there is not one of his words fell to the ground but that but that everything came to pass as God said and so we see here this is the the first time in the scriptures that God has made a, a promise to individuals and that this has been a, a central element of the story God makes this promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 12 and he he follows through on his word in chapter 21. The Lord visits Sarah. God does for Sarah as he promised. It says, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. This, despite the fact that in Genesis 18, 11, that, that Sarah was beyond childbearing, Years and this, despite the drama of the book of Genesis, what is what is Abraham's complaint in Genesis uh, chapter fifteen? God says to Abraham, "You've made this promise to me that I would be the father of nations." Genesis fifteen two. But Abram, at that time, that was his name, said, "Oh Lord God, what will you give me? I continue childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, first in line." for for my household. And God says, not Eliezer. No, I'm going to give you your own child. And then Abram and Sarah uh, cook up this scheme where Abram will get a child with Hagar. And then as God makes the promise and reaffirms it to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, Abraham says to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I got, I got the child. God says, no, no, no. That's not the child that was promised to you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him. And here we see at 90, Abraham is 100 years old. He is, he is old an old man. I'm, I'm, I'm 41 and I'm feeling it. I feel like I am old. Like throw some dirt on me. But Abram is old. This man is, he's an old man here. A hundred years old. And he has a son. Surely God is involved in this. Abraham and Sarah were old, it says in Genesis 18:11, Advanced in years. But at the time which God said this would happen, you'll recall that just before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, God said... To them that they would have a child and Sarah laughed at the Lord and he said I'll be back in a year and at that time you're going to have a son I'll return to you about this time next year and Sarah your wife will have a son not the time that Abraham and Sarah said but the time the Lord had told them and so imagine their joy when this boy is born when he comes into the world what is the meaning of it all now, we've, we've watched the, the wrestling of Abraham to have faith, and we see that, that faith gives birth to obedience in life. Faith, when it, when it sees who God is, and it sees the, the goodness given by God, and the graciousness given by God, and the mercy of God, it responds in heartfelt obedience. We try to reverse that. In, in life. So many times we say, oh, okay, I understand. If I go to church and if I stop cursing and if I don't look at things I'm not supposed to, and if I, if I uh, give money to charity and if I help people and I do good things, then God will love me and be kind to me and be gracious to me. We're like, we're like getting this big pile of spiritual money, right? And, and we're putting it in front of God and saying, isn't this enough? Won't you please love me? And God says, that's not the way it works. God says to Abraham, I will give to you. I will be gracious to you. I will be kind to you. I'm going to do these things for you. I'm going to bless the whole earth through you. And Abraham, when he believes, and we'll talk a little bit more about what else happens when he believes, but when he believes, he responds to it with obedience. Notice it in verses 3 through 5. It says, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Genesis 17, 19. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall command, call his name Isaac. God gives Abraham a son, and he says, I'm going to name, you know, maybe Abraham didn't like that name. Maybe Abraham wanted to name him the coolest name in the Bible, Mahar Shawal Hashbaz, right? I tried. I tried with at least two of my children. You can thank your mom that's not your name. I was like, pastor's kid, like Hebrew Bible name, I will outdo everyone. This is my kid, al Hashba. <laughs> but Nancy knows. People will be like, you will be a freak, and no one, will, no one will want to talk to you. They'll be like, you're weird. He names the child Isaac. But it also says Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. His faith results in obedience, not to earn the favor of God, but because of the favor of God. God shows kindness to him. And he says, how could I then not obey my God? And he responds in obedience. So we see Abraham has, has learned this lesson, and he seems to be walking consistently with this. That When God shows him mercy, he obeys. But Sarah's had a bit of a struggle, hasn't she? But we see her faith coming to fruition here. She says, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. This is the the delightful laughter of one who's waited and agonized and doubted in anxiety. This has been a long road for Sarah. Sarah. She, she has been mocked by her servant for her infertility. She's, she's been closed off from the world of women feeling inferior and second class because she cannot have a child. I know, I know people who have agonized and waited and hoped to have a child, and they've, they've struggled, and it's been difficult, and they've had disappointment after disappointment, but when that beautiful baby arrives... Some of you, some of you, you've experienced this, right? You go on Instagram or Facebook and you see the pictures and the pride over and over and over again, just the, the delight in this child that has come into the world. You just, you, you feel that joy, the, the incredible moment of celebration that can, that can lead to a, a laughter of, of celebration. I just want to share, okay, a little, little diversion here. A few thoughts on the word awesome. Um, I was listening to the radio the other day, and a, um, a gentleman was talking about the fact that there are some words that we probably need to get rid of in the English language, at least the use of. And so he, the, the guy who's interviewing him says, like what? And he, he starts with the word peanut butter. That's a compound word, not a singular word. Peanut butter. He says, this is, peanut butter is not butter, right? It's just like mashed up peanuts, it's actually peanut paste, right? You know, or peanut spread, right? So let's get butter. It's not buttery at all. It's a spread. It's a paste. Um, so, so, okay, okay. okay. And, then, and then he moves on to a couple other words. And I'm like, this is kind of getting silly. But then he says, let's get rid of the word awesome. Awesome. What does awesome mean? Awesome means that you are moved with profound feelings but you are, you, you're kind of having this, this experience of what am I looking at? This cannot exist. I do not understand. I am I am inspired, moved, shifted to worship. Right? Things that are awesome. And yet think about the way that we use the word awesome. At least children of the 80s. like Maybe, maybe, you, maybe this is going to slide right past you. You're going to be like, I know nothing. But if you grew up in the 80s, you know what I'm talking about. I will be at Dunkin' Donuts in five minutes. Awesome. Really? How are you doing today? I said it this morning. Good. Awesome. Really? Like, a bunch of us are doing today. good today, right? I'm not, I'm not inspired to worship the condition of your life. Can I borrow your car on this and such a date so I can take some stuff to the dump? Yes. Awesome. I got an iPhone 12 for Christmas. Right? These kinds of things. You know what's awesome? The Grand Canyon is awesome, right? I've not seen it, but I've heard enough people speak about it, and they're just like, you know, we use the word awesome to describe things like that's awesome. It's like, it's, my, people have described this experience of thinking like, is that real? Is that a painting? Is that real? Like they're standing there and their mind cannot comprehend what they're looking at. You know what else is awesome? In the Bible, when angels show up, people like completely lose their minds. They like start crying, they fall down, like they're dead, they're, they're in fear, they're quaking and the angels are always like, calm down, <laughs> right? Like it's okay, do not fear. One angel, I love this guy in the book of Revelation, he's like, you want me to lose my job? You know, get up. Stop worshipping me. You know, this is not good. Get up, get up, get up, get up. Um, God is awesome. God inspires awe. And then there are, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back and talk about laughter for a second. Um, In Genesis 17, 17, Abraham is told that he will have a child. And it says, he fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? This is the kind of of laughter, I think, which is like, I would love to... Listen, that's like totally cool that you want to do this for me, that you want to give this to me, but like, come on. This cannot happen. This is a kind of incredulous, mocking, sort of, like disbelief kind of laughter. Genesis 18, 13, God says, I'm going to come back in a year and Sarah will have a child. And then he says, why did Sarah laugh when I said that? Sarah heard and she laughed and she said, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? That's a laugh of disbelief sarah had laughed to herself in 1812 and said after i'm worn out and my lord is old shall i have the the pleasure of having a child genesis 1850 sarah denied it saying i did not laugh for she was afraid right she's identifying the kind of laugh here it's a a laugh of mockery or scorn like you know what this is this is absurd like Come on, you're the Lord. You know all kinds of things. You know how, how biology works. This is not possible. This is crazy. This is ridiculous. But God says, you're going to name that child. This is Genesis chapter 17. You're going to name that child Isaac, which means what? He laughs, or laughter. The, the, the laughter of, of mockery moves into the, the rejoicing of, laughter of awe. Sarah said, verse 6, God has made laughter for me. God has, has brought me this boy, this boy named Laughter, or this boy, he laughs. He brings joy to my heart. God has done what I could not think is possible. He's he's brought me from this place of alienation and and." And, and distance, and he's brought me to a place of worship and profound wonder. He gave me this baby. And then she says, everyone who hears will laugh over me. Everyone who hears of it will laugh. Not the not the laughter of mockery. And this is not the polite laughter of, oh, look, you've got a baby. But I think this is the nervous kind of laughter that occurs when you hear something that you cannot possibly explain. Wait, what? Abraham's wife had a baby? Did Abraham get a new wife? Like, she's 90, right? And she had a baby. It's it's her baby? And then people are inspecting and they're like, look, you know, it's got her nose and his hair. That's there so weird like whoa and then and then that kind of like when it hits you that profound sense of i don't really know what this is about and that's awesome wow this experience for sarah i think is is the experience of moving from a place of unbelief to faith. When the child arrives, it hits her that God's promises are true, and she is moved from a place of, of doubt and skepticism to profound, joyful awe. She moves from being a potential believer to being a true believer. The good news of the gospel is that, that none of us can earn God's affection. None of us can do anything that God would look at and say, that's awesome, that's incredible, I've never thought of that or I've never seen that before. But, but the good news of the gospel is that though we are, we are sinners... Though we have sinned against God, God will give us a gift of his righteousness. He will credit perfect righteousness to us because Jesus went to the cross for us. God will will give us what we cannot earn. And, And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, God allows us to access that which he has prepared for us. That ought to fill us with a profound sense of wonder. I think the more aware you are of your own sins... The more knowledge you have of who God is and how high his standard of holiness is, the, the, the greater the amount of awareness that you have, the, the more profound and deep your sense of awe and worship will be when you understand the good news of the gospel. The gospel ought to lead us to a sense of, of awe and joy what lessons can we learn from sarah's experience here i want to i want to kind of put this in a in a place where we will feel hopefully a sense of of profound wonder and joy at the gospel, maybe you will not nervous laugh, maybe you will politely laugh, maybe you will not laugh at all there 's not going to be anything particularly funny in what i 'm going to say, um, but but I just i want to I want to say something to to kind of bring this to a, a vista similar to what Sarah is experiencing here, because, because I think that what we can do with a passage like this is we can we can say you take this the american evangelical route and say oh if we just believe god god will give us what he has promised us and we can then begin to misapply all kinds of promises this this passage is no guarantee that god will eventually give anyone a baby many people look into the old testament and they say oh god's promised to keep me healthy he's promised to make me rich if i tithe all of that is bogus When you look at the promises that God gives in the New Testament, because he gives even greater grace than that, even if he doesn't give physical rewards and blessings. So let's just talk about what promises that we can see that God will make good on, even if we do not see them as true at the moment. Because I think that's the lesson that we can learn from Sarah's experience, is that often it takes an enormous amount of waiting. It takes a a, a period of time. God works at his set time and not on our timetable, but God brings good to us in his own time, and we many times don't see it until it happens, and when we do see it, it brings joy to our hearts. I think that's the lesson that we ought to take away as believers here. Okay, so... Um, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna share from Thomas Watson who when I get into heaven one day I'm sure that depending on my lifespan I will uh, either be waiting for my wife or I will greet her I will greet my family I'm gonna see some saints that I've longed to see I'll probably spend some time in worship but at some point I'm gonna go find Thomas Watson a Puritan and I'm gonna give him a fist pound I'm probably I'm, I'm, I don't think he'll need to be taught but it'll be like let's blow it up you know let's do that you know he's he is so encouraging to me, okay? He wrote this book years ago called A, a Divine Cordial, which is like a drop of antidote for the, for the agonizing Christian. That's the idea. It's now available as a book called All Things for Good. You don't even have to buy it. You can download it as a PDF. It's everywhere on the internet because Puritans have no copyright restrictions on it anymore. All right. They had no theology of copyright. Thomas Watson says this, He says the greatest promise in the Bible, a promise that ought to move us to joy and wonder is this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I believe this is the most difficult promise to believe. Many times, evangelicals throw this thing around. They're like, they're like, yeah, you know, I know that all things work together for good. Do you? Because if you did, you wouldn't say it like that. People get offended. And, and, and sometimes I'm like, oh, too soon, too soon. Don't do that. You know, like, like cards that you're supposed to bring to a funeral, they shouldn't have Romans 8.28 in them. You know, that's kind of like get over yourself, right? And we're, we're, we're mourning here. We're allowed to mourn with those who mourn. But, but for the Christian working through the reality of the gospel in the book of Romans, understanding that that we have sinned, that, that we have been given a gift of righteousness by 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 faith through christ's work on the cross we ought to understand that there's no condemnation for those who are in christ that that we have victory over sins in christ and all these things And, and the book of romans builds to this crescendo in chapter eight speaking about what god is doing for us and it climaxes i think i think an amazing high point in the book of romans is when paul says that because of all the things that god has done for us in christ we can know that all things work together for good. All things. So this is what Watson says. He spends like 120 pages working out an argument, uh, a developing a line of reasoning from this one verse. And, and he argues, and I'm not going to talk about it this morning, I just want to highlight the second part of his book, because he says that the evil of sin, the evil of affliction, The evil of temptation and the evil of the feeling of desertion, they work for good. Well, how? Well, read the book. It's only been out for like 400 years or something. He then, in the first part of the book, talks about good things. And he says that the attributes of God, the mercies of God, the graces of the Holy Spirit, angels, the fellowship of the saints, Christ's intercession for us, and the prayers of the saints, those things work for good what I want to focus on is the fact that he says that the promises of God work together for our good. I'm just going to take one slice out of the pie here and focus on that, okay? Um, This verse is profound. It's profound in a sense that that we go through life, I think, having the experience of this barren woman saying, when? When When is the goodness going to happen? Like, like, Uh, There are difficulties and struggles and trials and pain. When? When? I'm tired of trying to get it my own way. I'm tired of trying to struggle. When will I feel that profound sense of joy that all things work for good? And what is the lesson that God taught Abraham and Sarah? He taught them, I have made you this promise. I will make good on it. Thomas Watson says that promises are like IOUs from God's hand. They are, they are promissory notes that, that He will certainly do the good which He has promised in them. Second Peter, chapter one, verse three. Peter says that God's divine power, power has granted to us listen to this, all things that pertain to life and godliness. God's power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glorious excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. The promises of God work to us for our good. Here's what Watson says. He says, are you guilty of sin? The promises of God ought to be a source of joy for you because you may want to enter into the presence of God like Queen Esther did into the presence of, of, of King Ahasuerus, but you know that if you walk into the presence of God with sin on your account, you will die. He says that God holds out the golden scepter. And then he says, look at Psalm 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before Moses and he proclaimed. Moses is being introduced to who God is in the the clearest way that Moses will see. And this is how the Lord introduces himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. Are you guilty of sin? God is a God who is merciful and gracious. You can come to him and be clean. But you may say, I know the way that that ends. He'll by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That doesn't sound merciful. Really? He said he's a merciful God, so come to him in repentance. Don't hang on to your guilt. The promises of God are that he will receive you if you're guilty of sin. Are you afraid and fearing of the condemnation or the power that comes from the devil or from the world? John 10, 29 says my father who has given them to me my my father this is the lord jesus speaking who's been who's been given believers my father who has given these believers to me is greater than all no one is able to snatch believers out of the father's hand you are safe and secure on what basis on the basis of the promises of god the god who promised to give a child to abraham and sarah and then who made good on it Are you defiled by sin? You feel like your sins are so many and so dark that they have tainted your conscience and you can never, ever be clean again? God says in Hosea 14:4, I will heal their apostasy, or I will heal their backslidings. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I am so stained with sin. What is there in me that God would love? God says, I will love them freely. I love them freely. They need do nothing to earn my affection. Do we fear from, from outward need? Will there be enough money? Will there be enough food? Will there be enough in the retirement account? If you turn to the world, they will say, "No, fear. Invest in our company. We will help you, because the world sells fear. But God says, Psalm 34:10, that the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Are we in great need? Is the the moment that we're struggling with so great, so far beyond our our ability to answer that we feel overwhelmed? Psalm 91.15 says that when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with the, the believer in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And David in Psalm thirty-seven twenty-five says, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. The promises of God. We can cut Sarah a little bit of slack, can't we? Sarah didn't have an entire Bible full of of promises and good words and historical events that that God had had done things over and over again. Sarah hadn't seen the Exodus. Sarah hadn't seen the the, the Jewish people pulled off the land and taken into Babylon and then returned. Sarah hadn't seen Jesus walk on the earth and and seen all his miracles and and heard all the stories of life in the early church. Sarah didn't have, have a book bound that she could consult in any time of trouble. She just had God's word but God delivered on his promise and we who possess God's word in, in, in finished form, who, who, can, who can consult those promises, we ought to, in the midst of, of trial and trouble and difficulty, find these promises as a life raft to us in times of difficulty. Psalm 119 verse 92 says this, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Do you, do you use God's word, believer? as a source of joy in the midst of your troubles and difficulties, do you consult those promises of God and say, though my life looks like this right now, there's, there's not enough money or there's difficulty in this relationship or I'm not sure what's going to happen in the future here on my job or at my church or in the world or will the American government melt down? Who's going to protect us against this uh, group of enemies or that group of enemies? Will we all die of Ebola? You know, do you go to God's word and say, oh, that is good. And it fills me with joy. Because that's why God gave you his word. That's why God gave Sarah Isaac. And we ought to learn that lesson from her. And we ought to feed on God's word. We feed based first on the fact that that we don't have to earn God's righteousness because it has been given to us, sinful as we are, in Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. But there are so many gospel blessings which can elevate and encourage and help us in time of need if we are faithful to dig in and to learn them and to use them in times of trouble. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to to hear your word this morning. I pray not only for those who are here, but also for myself, that, that we would make this so in our lives, that, that we would be faithful to dig out your promises like vegetables planted in a garden or like jewels in a, in a mine, that we would go and find them and, and dig them out and, and hold them and use them for the purpose that they've been given to us. Father, we pray that you would encourage us, that you would help us to be filled with holy and reverential awe, and that, that our joy would be built not on the fact that, that we got paid on Thursday, or that, that the political offices in this country are held by this party or that party, or that, that the news is good, that the economy is picking up. We pray that our, our, our joy would not be built on those things, that our joy would be built on the fact that you are a God who's made promises to us in Christ and that you always keep your word. We thank you for that. We pray that, that we would have a great appreciation for your goodness. We pray this, Lord, in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Stand as we sing this closing song together.